This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully uh, you're excited to eat some good food this week. Is anybody excited? Is anybody not looking forward to having to make that food if you're the person that has to make it? Anybody honest? Okay, okay. That's all good. Is anyone excited for football? Jesse's always excited for football. It could be peewee football, and Jesse's going to be screaming like nobody's business. Yeah, he's just psyched all the time. I'm thankful because by this time next week, I'll be in Disneyland. So... Greatest place on earth. I'll be eating something good and riding some rides. So it will be good, and I'm excited for that. But uh, um, before we jump into today's message, I want to just announce a couple of things this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to warn you, I was sick all week. So um, if I end up coughing too much or sniffling, I'm going to swap to the other mic so you don't have to be distracted the whole time. Because like, <clears throat> I know some of you are like, that's disgusting, leave. But <clears throat> the word has to go forth, okay? Um, anyway, so a couple of announcements this morning. First thing is that Jingle Jam 2022 is around the corner. Is anybody excited for that? A lot of people are excited for that. So my encouragement would be with that excitement that you would plan to invite someone. Um, we have three shows. We will make it four. God help us if we do. But we will make it four if we fill up that many. many she's like, just look at her, dude. She's like, no, that's not happening. Julie, <laughs> if the people come, I will make cookies the night before by myself. I'm just kidding. Shh. Allie will make cookies the night before. That's good. <laughs> anyway, it's not about the practical. We want people here, so we will do whatever. We'll move heaven and earth. We'll order crumble for Jesse if we have to, okay? Like, we will, get, we will make it happen. But just please invite someone. And I say that because we put a lot of work into this event, so we have fun, and, and we get to share with our church community, but so that people come and get to hear the hope of Jesus. We couch the message of Jesus in a really fun um, and attractive way, even though Jesus is attractive on his own, but it's fun to celebrate. And so we want as many people to come do that with us. But with that, my second announcement is, and last week it was in the video, but we need... Um, um, fo- Christmas photos submitted to our church for an element in Jingle Jam. And what I mean by that is like, like family Christmas photos, like your kids opening presents on Christmas morning. Like if you need to stage it like right now in this month so you can submit them, that's totally fine. Like buy your kid, I don't know, a, a sucker and put it in a massive box and let them open it just so you can get some good photos. But we want you to submit these photos. And it's like, this doesn't have to just be Christmas morning photos. It can be your Christmas card photos. It can be your Christmas family photos. It could be a Christmas party thing that you're at. Basically, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to include an element in the show this year that includes just all of you guys and make it fun and special like that. Um, and just get over yourself. You don't like the photo because it's not about you. It's about everyone else that will feel the happy vibes of the room because we're using these photos. So um, that's my second announcement this morning. Say, so I'm going to submit photos. And we're asking that you do that by November 30th. You can DM them on social media or you can email them to uh, information at relevantlifechurch.net and we'll take care of them from there, but please do that. And then the third and final thing I want to announce today is that we are almost three weeks into our 90-day giving challenge. Three weeks in. Say 90-day giving challenge. And if you haven't been here, the 90-Day Giving Challenge is a challenge our community has taken on to go above and beyond in our finances and giving for the next couple, like 90 days, a couple weeks, I guess six weeks now. But really, um, for some of us, that means that like some people have never tithed, so going above and beyond is them tithing for the first time. For others that give regularly, that means excelling and giving just a little bit more than what you regularly give, whatever God leads you to do. Um, And it all comes back comes back with a money-back guarantee that if you don't see God do something in your life or that you don't feel like he's moved or that you've reaped from this experience, we'll give your money back. And the reason is is because we know some people need an initiative to participate in a challenge, and we really believe in the power of what God does through your life when you give. And so we've been doing that, and um, let me tell you, it has been super exciting to hear um, the different stats on, on what's been happening. And so do you want to know who's entered the challenge this week? Not by name, but like, do you want to hear how many people have entered it? Anyone? No one wants to hear it? Okay, Um, so we have six households giving for the first time, never given, which is super awesome. That like just makes my heart super happy. And then we have 20 households that are deciding to give above and beyond for this challenge. So if that doesn't include you, my encouragement is please participate. Like I literally get psyched when I hear those numbers. Like I get psyched that Allie and I are doing this. It's just so much fun to test God in this area. So please come join and do that with us. It's not too late to join. And if you want more details, just go check out the Church Center app um, and you can get information there. Anyway, with that being said, we're stepping into week two of a series we kicked off last week called... Above and beyond. Turn your neighbor and say, above and beyond. 
I'm not going to lie. Every time I say this, I just want to say to infinity and beyond, like Buzz Lightyear, but I can't say that because it's, I don't know, it just doesn't match the same. But anyway, I don't know about you, but I have been super excited and, and still am excited for the series. And the reason is, is because I love what happens when our community takes time to focus on what giving is. There's something that happens inside this community. I don't know if you recognize it, but I recognize it, that when we talk about giving, God does something in our hearts. And so over the past decade at RLC, we have taken many moments to do this during a season of the year, whether that's been raising money for a Bible translation project or raising money to fund a Speed of Light missionary vehicle or giving money to local projects in the area. This year, we're doing this money-back guarantee. Every, every year or most years, we come back and do something like this. But there, when we come back and do it, there's always the same heartbeat behind it, the same reason why. And the reason we do it is because we recognize the gravity of money in God's eyes and in the world's eyes. See, in the Bible, if you didn't know, there are more than 500 verses concerning prayer, and there's nearly 500 verses concerning faith, but when it comes to the subject of money and possessions, there are 2,000 verses in the Bible. And I just want you to see, like, like, it's talked about, but it's funny because, like, some people squirm when it's talked about in church. I'm not sure why, but, like, it's a huge topic. It's a huge subject that God covers, okay? And then in the world, like, obviously, like, money's a big deal as well. I don't know if you noticed, like, but you need money to survive. I don't know, like, did anyone notice that? As well as, like, one of the biggest stresses right now, I think, is arguably, like, money because, like, inflation and everyone's freaking out and gas prices are soaring. Like, money's a big deal. And so we feel obligated as church leadership that, like, no, like, we need to dialogue this as well as, like, we recognize with money comes some of the greatest principles of blessing that you can have. And we don't do it for the blessing, but we do it because of obedience, and then we reap the blessing from it. And so that's why we're in the series called Above and Beyond. But if you were here in November last year, you may remember we already did a series called Above and Beyond. So why are we doing it again? And the reason is, is because as we started to near the end of 2022, 2022, did I say 2020, I don't know. 2022, cold meds. Um, uh, we started going, God, like, what do you want us to share? And we realized that last year when we did an Above and Beyond series, God began to do a really amazing heart work in this community to, to this idea of above and beyond giving. And so we wanted to open up opportunity for God to do that again. And this phrase above and beyond means actions or behaviors that exceed what is required or expected. And so in terms of giving, a heart of above and beyond giving is a heart that recognizes giving is a privilege we get as people that have been given so much from an above and beyond giving God. That's a mouthful, but I'm going to say it again. And a heart of above and beyond giving is a heart that recognizes giving is a privilege that we get to participate in because we have been given so much from a God that gives above and beyond. He sent his son to die on the cross in a total above and beyond sacrifice. If you get to know the person of God in the Bible, you will see time and time again that we serve a God that is above and beyond in giving. And so we feel that's a privilege that we, because reaping from God's above and beyond giving, we get to give back, okay? And I know I'm already losing some of you guys because you're like, I don't want to give my money. I love my money, but it's fine. Anyway, so last week we kicked off the series, and PK did a phenomenal job really talking about the foundation of giving, which is tithing, okay? And if you didn't listen to that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it was phenomenal. And in that message, we learned that we can never be above and beyond givers if we don't give at all. Like, you can't be an above and beyond giver if you don't, never give. We also heard the not fun fact, but the real fact that the giving is not a suggestion, it is a mandate, God literally calls it robbery when we don't give. And so today, as I, as I heard PK's message and was beginning my, preparing myself, um, I realized that so many of us heard this idea of giving, heard that we're supposed to give, but so many of us struggle to do it. And there's a, a big, big, I don't know what it is, but there's like a big deal surrounding this idea of money. And so today I want to talk around that idea. And the title of my message this morning is Why Don't People Give? Why Don't People Give? Super simple question, but I think there's a lot behind it. And I'm not obviously going to be able to answer everything about this question, but I want to do my best today to do that. And so I'm going to do that by looking at a short story in the Gospel of Mark. It's also found in Luke. And it's, a, it's only four verses long, but it's super powerful, okay? And so we're going to read that this morning. But before we do, I want to just give you a couple things to know about this scripture. The first one is when this story takes place. Say when. Um, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think, but when we um, pick up the Bible and we read a story, it's super important oftentimes to recognize when what's happening is happening because it gives you greater gravity to understand what's taking place. It gives greater understanding and meaning to what's going on. And this is true when it comes to the passage we're going to read today. So if you read Mark 12 on its own, you're not going to like really find that much detail or any detail at all about when it's taking place. But if you step back to Mark chapter 11 and then jump ahead to Mark 15, you'll actually see that we get a little bit more of the story. So 
Mark chapter 11, the events that unfold there tell us about the moment that Jesus entered Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday. And if you know what Palm Sunday is, that is now a a signifier that that was the final week of Jesus' life on earth before he was crucified. He was going into Jerusalem with the knowledge that he was going to be captured, beaten, and then crucified. Okay, so that's Palm Sunday. Everyone was celebrating him, and then everyone turned on him by the end of the week. But so this is Palm Sunday. That's what happens in Mark 11. Mark chapter 15, we see that Jesus gets captured and crucified in that story. And so what happens is if you put those details together and match them up with the timeline that historians suggest, you realize that what happens in Mark 12 happens in the final week of what happened on Jesus or what happened in Jesus' life on earth. Everything between Mark 11 and Mark 15 is what transpired in Jesus' final week before crucifixion. And the reason I'm telling you this, you're like, this is great information. The reason I'm telling you this is because what happens in the story is Jesus is going to observe something that caught his attention so much that he pulled his disciples aside to teach them a lesson. And I think that if I knew I was going to die in a couple of days, I would be very hesitant on what I used my breath and time for. But he thought, that, he thought this was so important to teach a lesson that I still think is ringing out thousands of years later that I want us to grasp today. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing you need to know before we read this is the setting in which our story happens. You're going to read in the first verse that it happens in the temple. But what happens is when we look at the temple then, we may think of it like an auditorium like this where everyone's welcome at all times. But that's not how the temple in that day worked. The temple had these core areas where they split up who was allowed to come. So around this, this, the, the furthest perimeter of the temple was called the court of Gentiles, okay? And this is where anyone non-Jewish was allowed to come. Okay, so if you were not Jewish, you were allowed in this area, but you were allowed no further. There was actually a sign posted that said, if you pass this area, you may be punished by death. Like, that's how serious they took this, okay? Then beyond the court of Gentiles was the court of women. And this didn't mean that only women could come there. This meant that Jew, like Jewish males were allowed to go there. It meant that women could not go beyond that point. So it was the court of Gentiles, the court of women, where only women could go. Like, they couldn't go any further. Then beyond that was the court of, of me, uh, men, And that was basically where any male Jew was allowed to enter. And then beyond that was the court of priests. And hopefully I'm making sense with this. And the court of priests was where only the priests could go. So there's a lot of different stipulations and regulations, things that I feel like Jesus really came and abolished when it comes to his church, right? Everyone's welcome. But what I want you to see here is what takes place in our story today happens in the court of women. And we know this for two reasons. Number one, it includes the stories about a woman. So otherwise, like she would have to have been in the court of Gentiles or in the court of women because she wouldn't have been allowed to go any further. And the second reason we know it's in the court of women is because historians tell us that in the court of women, they had, I think, these 13 treasury boxes that were um, available for people to give their, their offerings. So um, one through seven or something like that was um, designated offering boxes. So things for sacrifices and other expenses. And then um, eight through 13, something like that, were um, open for anyone to give a free will voluntary offering. So like when we're like, give above and beyond, this is where they would come drop their above and beyond offering in, okay? And the reason I'm telling you all this is because Jesus is sitting in the temple where we're reading, and he's watching people go and drop their free will offerings in, okay? And as he does this, he notices something. And a good funny side note is Jesus is always watching when you give to, but uh, that's (laughs) not That's not part of the sermon. I just had to add that. So let's read this morning, Mark chapter 12, with all that in mind. It says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasure. Remember, these 13 boxes in the court of women. It says, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, remember, this is his final week on earth, and he's like, he sees something, and he goes, I think this is important enough to teach my disciples something about it. And he says, truly I tell you this, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. And so I think, again, this is only four verses, but I think there's a lot to say here. And so we're going to speak about this today. But first, I want to pray. God, I pray that you just bless this message today. God, I thank you that um, you actually put this, this passage of Scripture on my heart over a year ago. God, as, I, as we were in the last, or really close to the last Above and Beyond series, God. And I just felt in my heart, God, that we were supposed to talk about this, this simple act, God, that this woman did, God, that you thought was so powerful. And so I just pray right now, God, you knew every person was going to be here, God, and you knew, you know what their financial situation looks like to the penny. God, you know what their bank account looks like. God, you know what they have on them right now. God, you are that knowledgeable. And so I just pray, God, that there would be just a humble heart, God, to just hear what your word has to say. 
God, and I pray that the enemy would, would um, no longer have grounds in so many people's lives over their finances. God, I pray that he would not be able to convince anyone that there, there's a good reason to not give. God, and I pray that as we talk about some of these reasons why people don't give, God, I pray that our hearts would just be open and humble to hear. God, I pray that you would just direct me. God, your words would flow through me, and we just thank you for it. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. In the late to mid-6th century, a Greek slave by the name of Aesop wrote about 725 short stories the world has now come to know and cherish as Aesop's fables. I'm sure many of us have heard of them. At the time, these fables were written and used for a number of different reasons, but regardless of their original intent, they are still told around the world thousands of years later to illustrate simple moral lessons to all those who listen. One of these fables is known as Belling the Cat, and it goes like this. There once was a colony of mice living in an old house. Their lives, for the most part, were fairly easy other than the fact they had a dreadful enemy, a cat. This cat liked nothing better than to hunt mice. Almost every day, the mice lost one of their number to this cat. Finally, one day, the mice called a meeting to decide on a plan to free themselves from the cat or to at least find some way of knowing when the cat was coming so they could run away from it. Many plans were discussed at this meeting, but none of them were good enough. Finally, after much deliberation, a young mouse got up and said, I have a plan that seems very simple, but I know it will be successful. All we have to do is hang a bell around the cat's neck. That way, when we hear the bell ringing, we will know immediately that our, um, our enemy, the cat, is coming and we can run away from it. All the mice were surprised that they had, not, they had not thought of such a good plan before, and they began to celebrate. But in the midst of the rejoicing over their good fortune, an old mouse arose and said, I will say the plan of the young mouse came up, that the young mouse came up with is very good, but I still have one question. Who is actually going to bell the cat? And one of the morals of this story that's been pulled for, for years now is that it's one thing to say that something should be done, but quite a different matter to do it. And all of you guys are nodding your head at this right now because you recognize, like, the reality of, like, something we often so face, right? If I were to go around this room, I think many of us would be able to give examples of the sad reality that we all face of knowing what to do but then not following through on it. And there's actually, um, this is such a common problem, there's actually a name for it that they've titled it as the knowing-doing gap. The knowing-doing gap. And it's described as the disconnect between knowledge and action. The disconnect between knowing and doing. And we all know what this looks like, right? It's when, it's when you should eat healthy and exercise regularly, but you let the busyness of life keep you from actually doing it. It's when you know you should go to bed early and try to get a few more hours of sleep, but you let the excuse of just one more episode keep you up later. It's when you know you should spend more time reading the Bible or good books, but you end up wasting your time scrolling on social media instead. It's when you know you should spend less and save more, but instead you keep finding one more thing you just have to have. And Allie's like, yeah, that's what trend does. It's when you look at your life and see something you want changed and know what would fix it or at least begin to fix it, but then you don't ever do it. Or you let that excuse of I'll do it later step in. It's when a parent is correcting their child because the child did something they told them not to do and the child replies, yeah, I know. And then the parent goes, then why didn't you do it, right? Like the parent's like, that's a total thing. As humans, we are masters of often knowing the right answer, but then figuring out an excuse to not follow through. And obviously this reality of knowing what to do and not doing it doesn't apply to every situation. We all know what it's like on the flip side to be in a situation where you're like, please someone just tell me what to do because I have no idea. But I think a lot of times we actually know what to do and we just don't do it. And the reason I bring this up today is because I think when it comes to the problems surrounding giving financially, the problems are less about people knowing what to do and more about people just not following through. And I want that to sink in. And like I'm calling that out in myself. When it comes to the problems surrounding giving financially to God, like let's just make it that bold, to God, I think they're less about people knowing what to do and more about people just not following through. And the reason I think that and the reason I know that is because despite the topic of giving being talked about on a weekly basis, despite it being a mandate, the Bible says should be something that you do in your life. Despite people hearing sermon after sermon about compelling reasons why, like preachers exegeting scripture showing you that God is saying this, the vast majority of churchgoers don't give. This week I ran across an article published last year that talked about church giving stats and trends um, in, 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 uh, that you should know of for 2022. And one of the stats they shared is that 75 to 90% of churchgoers never tithe. That means that only 15 to 20% tithe. And I think, I don't know the exact numbers for our church, but I think like it's definitely a small majority that 10 RLC give. 
And when I hear things like this, I honestly have trouble understanding why it happens. Like, I, I, it's really difficult for me to compute people that claim to be Christians that, that could reference Scripture if asked, that could tell a testimony of someone they've heard that giving's changed their lives. Why, why do they don't give? And, like, I recognize, like, the way I'm approaching this. I knew in writing it this week like this that I would sound condemning and almost judgmental. And please hear me, like, I'm trying to communicate this the way I felt like God communicated to my heart. Like, it's sincerely something I just don't comprehend. And I obviously know, like, there's struggles in my life that, like, I don't do things that I know I should do. And I look at myself and I think the same thing. Like, why don't you do that, bro? Like, so I'm talking to you as I, was, as I talk to myself. And oftentimes I hear God talking to me. And so my question is, why don't people give? Why don't people give? And as I was preparing for this message, it's funny. This is probably, like, my fifth or sixth um, uh, RLC adult giving message that I've given. I found myself less interested in trying to teach our community once again why they should give and more interested in dialoguing some of the reasons why I think people don't give. I, just wanna, I would just like to like process through two, two of the reasons that I think people don't give. And so that's what I want to do today is, is to answer why don't people give. And I want to I begin by saying the reasons I'm about to share are excuses that I have used in my life that I feel like God even was confronting me about as I was doing this. Because I think these reasons are why people don't give, and I think they're why some people struggle to give or struggle to give more. And last week, PK openly and honestly shared, like, there's so many times where he, he writes the check or he gives money, and he doesn't even, like, it doesn't even face him anymore, which I believe is true, but I believe that no human being starts out that way. I think there's something God knew it was going to be hard for the Israelites in the Old Testament to give of their first fruits. He was, he was testing them to go, like, do you really trust me? And so I recognize there's a struggle behind this, and so I want to talk about a couple of the reasons this morning. So the first one, that I, the first reason why I think people don't give is because I think people don't like what true giving requires. People don't like what true giving requires. I'm assuming most of us have heard the phrase at some point before, nothing is ever free. Anyone heard that phrase before? Nothing's ever free. And I've used this phrase, or I've heard it used because someone is trying to communicate that even though something may look free, or even though someone's saying something is free, some point of that, down the line, someone paid for that item so that you could have then have it freely, right? And the reason I bring this up today is because this idea of nothing ever being free actually has a lot to do with the idea of giving. See, the word give means to freely transfer to possession of something to someone. Freely transfer the possession of something to someone. In other words, it means taking something you own and giving the ownership rights of that thing to someone without them having to pay for it. And this means that although it doesn't cost the person receiving it anything, right, it's given freely, it costs the giver something. And I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence this morning by going through this, because I think we all understand this. But what I'm trying to point out is although we understand what I, the idea of giving entails, I think oftentimes one of the greatest reasons why people don't give or struggle to give of their finances to God is because they are unwilling or don't like having to pay the cost that comes with giving. People feel like they earn their money and they, they deserve it and they should get to choose what they do with it. People feel like there are more important places that their money could go than to God. And I'm not knocking those, those, those understandings. I'm just calling out what I think is the case, what I notice is the case. But what I want us to grasp and be reminded of today is that the core of true giving is the requirement that it costs the giver something. And you can't get around that. And I feel like this is what Jesus is actually pointing out to his disciples in Mark 12. So let's look at it again. When we read the story, we notice again that Jesus is observing these people coming and giving in their offerings. And when he comes and tells his disciples about it, we notice that Mark, as he dialogues and, and, and um, gives us insight to what the situation was, he really describes two types of giving. On the first hand, you see, the, um, see him highlight the rich that were giving big chunks of money. In Mark 12, 41, it says, Jesus watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich threw in large amounts. Now, we don't know what the actual amount is, but we can assume it was large. This, this word rich in the original language means abounding in mere material resources wealthy. So they were rolling, right? That's what we would call it this day. They were rolling. And it says they gave large amounts. That word means high in number, great in amount. Okay, so they had a lot of money. So the first type of offering being given was a large monetary amount. And again, I'm not trying to knock your intelligence. I'm just going through the details so you can see the gravity of what happens here. On the other hand, you see highlighted a poor widow who gave only a few coins. It says in 1242, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. This word poor means of one who crouches and cowers. It means someone destitute, completely lacking resources. 
So this woman was very poor. And this word for small copper coins, I think, was leptos, and it means a peeling or a thin one. And it was, what it was describing was actually the, the lowest, the smallest amount of currency in that day. It was the closest, thing, uh, the closest thing we could compare in our day would be a penny. She gave two pennies. And that's not even true because what she was giving was actually just a fraction of our penny, which I don't know about you, but like, I don't keep pennies. Like, we're keeping 25 cents and above. Pennies are going, I don't know where. Somewhere that Trenton doesn't want to have, have changed his pocket, right? I'll give them to Allie so she can put them in her buddy bear, okay? Um, <clears throat> it was worth, it was, um, this, this, this uh, leptose was worth one one-hundredth of a denarius. And if I understood correctly, a denarius was about worth one day's wage. So this was like minutes worth of a day's work. That's what she gave. And so the second type of offering that was described was very low in monetary amount. And the reason I'm giving you the details in this is because I want you to like realize how bizarre the next statement that Jesus makes is. He says in 1243, it says, calling his disciples to him, he says, truly I tell you, this word means amen, like let it be so. This is 100% true. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, I don't know what this situation would look like, but knowing the humorous occasions where the disciples questioned Jesus or argue with Jesus, I'm assuming they at least gave him an odd look when he said this and thought, wait, what? Kind of like we should, because I don't know about you, but like, it doesn't make a lot of sense what he said. And like, like, let's like just look at it in terms of today's money. So Mark 12, 41 says, Jesus again, watched, watched the crowd and many rich people threw in large amounts. Now I picture that in that day was someone carrying a burlap sack full of coins, right? Like on their servant's back. And they just walk in like, Plop, and it just like drops in, right? And like everyone in the room witnesses it. Now, I don't have a burlap sack full of coins, but what I did bring, sorry, one second here, is a fat stack of Benjamins equaling $10,000, okay? Now, before anyone thinks about mugging me, this is not real. Um, <laughs> obviously, if it was, I wouldn't be here this morning. No, I was kidding. I was kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. This is a message about giving God everything in our life, okay? But this money uh, really is worth like a couple bucks on Amazon, all right? So if you want to mug me in the parking lot later, I'm pretty sure there's other things you can mug off me that would be a lot like that more valuable than this. Anyway, what I wanted to see this morning is what a large amount of money looked like. Again, Jesus didn't tell us how much the rich gave, but like in our day's terms, like I'm going to imagine like a lot of money, Okay. So he said the rich gave a large amount of money. But then he goes and says, the poor woman gave only a few cents. And in my pocket, I have two shiny pennies, okay? And I asked for shiny pennies from Allie because, I don't know, I don't want to touch germified ones. And I'm assuming the poor widow's, poor, the poor widow's pennies or leptos were dirty, okay? And I'm not going to lie. I was at home, and I did definitely take out two used disgusting pennies out of Allie's buddy barrel, and I wiped them with a Clorox wipe, <laughs> planning that I was going to have to carry them today. And if you know me, I ain't touching those, okay? So I brought two shiny pennies because thankfully Allie came through. But what I want us to see today is how drastically different this is, okay? Because Jesus literally says that the poor woman gave more than the rich person. And like logically, there's no way that you can spin this to make sense in the human mind. Like, but I want us to grasp that because like, it doesn't matter like what economy you live in, like $10,000 is always going to be more than two pennies. And the reason that Jesus does this is because there's a true lesson to be learned that I think a lot of us may in this room already know, but a lot of times I think we forget See, he wasn't telling them that the widow gave more because her offering had greater monetary value, but that she gave more because her offering took a greater sacrifice. And you're shaking, a lot of you are shaking your heads because you guys understand this, but I want it to sink in. He said that she gave more because, not because her offering had greater monetary value, but because what she gave cost her more sacrificially. And this is because true giving always costs the giver something. True giving always costs the giver something. See, it wasn't that the rich people didn't give. It's just that the widow truly gave and they didn't. In Mark 12, 44, it says they gave out of their wealth. This, this, this phrase, out of their wealth in the, in the original language, means to be over and beyond, to be above and beyond, to abound, exceeding the ordinary or necessary to exceed a certain measure. It wasn't that they gave above and beyond. They just gave above and beyond what they already had. In other words, they gave what was not costing them. If they gave $10,000, I'm assuming it's because they probably had $20,000. This ain't real either. They probably had $20,000 to live off of. So this, you're still keeping like a, a good amount. 
And so they're giving, but are they really giving? When this woman, Jesus said, it was all she had. Everything she had. Her next meal, this was everything she had. Mark 12, 24, when, she's, when it says she gave out of her poverty, it says it, she gave out of her need, her expression of lack. In other words, she was giving knowing that the money could be used elsewhere. And we see the difference in how they gave and how Mark describes it. Mark 12, 41 through 42, it says many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. Now, when I read this in the English, I quickly noticed the difference in how the writer described it. But then I was like, does the original language actually have a difference? To which I then found out, no, it's actually the same word. But then as I looked further, I found out that same word has two different meanings. On one hand, the word was to throw or let go of something carelessly. So I got more where that came from, and it just broke. It's all right. Allie, help me fix that. But you guys see the picture. So they, I'm not caring. But then I imagine, so that, that's how one, how one way that Greek word is used. The other way it means to, to very carefully, with much thought, put in the offering. So I imagine the woman walking up hesitantly in faith, because you can be hesitant and still have faith, hesitantly in faith going like, like, God, I know you're good, but like, and then putting it in. There was intentionality. And what I want us to see this morning is that that's true giving, this is not even though the monetary values more. And again, that's because the true, give, true giving always costs the giver something. And it was funny because in this, in prepping for this week, um, last week I went through my closet and got rid of a ton of clothes, two garbage bags worth of clothes, and I brought them to some friends to go through to take what they wanted. And it was funny because in, in terms of, of, of giving, I technically gave. But in light of this message, I realized I actually wasn't giving because I don't even care that I lost the clothes. Like, I was getting rid of them because I never wear them, and it was actually more of a blessing than a cost to me because I was clearing up space in my closet. And this is how oftentimes in our society we consider giving. How many people are like, dude, I, gave, I re-gifted, so I gave them something. Actually, no, someone gave something to you and you re-gifted it. So, like, you, you didn't actually give that much. But this is our standard for giving. And sadly... I think a lot of times, even those who in this room give, and I can't judge your heart or know your financial situation, but I think a lot of us just scrape the crumbs off the excess of our life, and then we sit in here righteous during messages like this because we're like, I gave. That's, that's for me. I, like, I scrape the excess a lot. That's what I consider giving. But one commentator I read said this, real giving must be sacrificial. The amount of the gift never matters as much as it costs or so much as it, its cost to the giver, not the size of the gift, but the sacrifice. Real generosity gives until it hurts. For many of us, it is a real question if we are ever out, are, ever are giving to God's work, it, sorry, if our giving is to God's work is any sacrifice at all. Few people will do without their pleasures to give a little more to the work of God. It may well be a sign of the decadence of the church and the failure of our Christianity that gifts have to be coaxed out of church people, and that often they will get, not give at all unless they get something back in the way of entertainment or of goods. There can be few of us who read the story of the poor widow without shame. True giving costs the giver something. And we see this because the way the widow gave cost her everything. And here's what I want to grasp, want to grasp today. True giving goes beyond logic, and I think that's why few people ever really give. Because what we're doing is we're taking something that is very material and logical and using it in a way that's not logical, but spiritual. It requires faith. And so if you try to logically explain how this is going to work, it will never work out. It's why our, our faith takes faith. And what I want us to grasp this morning is this woman gave in faith, so Jesus said she gave more. Those people gave logically. Jesus, here's my extra. This woman gave out of where it didn't make sense. And I want us to catch this. And I, like, I'm not preaching anything new. I'm just going to the bare facts of like what God was revealing in my heart. To go, Trenton, like, oftentimes you're not giving because you're just giving what's easy. But real giving, what I did for you was sacrifice. And that's what true giving is. And so where does this leave us before we move on to our next reason? I think for those who have never given and don't give, I think you need to seriously consider whether the reason you give is this. Whether you don't give is because of this reason. And if it is, I think you need to process with God that you don't, because, don't give because you are unwilling to pay the cost of what it takes to give to him. And that may sound harsh, 
But really, like, that's the reality of it. And I think you then need to remember the cost he paid to sacrifice Jesus for you. And that's me not trying to guilt you. Some people are like, that's just you causing guilt so that I give. Actually, no, like, I'm just preaching what the Bible says, and I'm actually talking to you the way I feel like God's tone often comes at me. That Trenton, like, why? This doesn't make sense, Trenton, so you should be doing this. But those of us who give, me, are not off the hook. Our challenge is this. We need to ask ourselves, how often are we truly giving? And I'm not diminishing what you gave. Again, the rich people still gave, but Jesus didn't consider it, consider it true giving. Allie and I were talking this week. This series is already messing me up, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but what we're giving above and beyond, we're, just, we're probably just going to keep giving it because it hurts a little bit, and I don't want to stop hurting. Somewhere, like, I realize, like, I should be giving more. I should be doing more. I hear testimonies of people that have gone all in in this in their life, and I'm like, there's nothing I wouldn't give to not participate in something like that. But oftentimes, I know what to do to do that, and I just don't do it. And so my question this morning is, like, how often are you truly giving? So that's the first reason I think people don't give. The second one this morning is that I think people are dependent on the wrong thing. People are dependent on the wrong thing. And back in February of this year, as many of you know, Allie and I went on our first cruise. And I know I'm using another cruise illustration. They come in handy for sermons. But um, I I was um, on this cruise with Allie. And something took place um, to me that I want to share with you this morning. So before we left, um, if you know me, I'm very planned and prepared. And so I was like trying to figure out how to plan and prepare as many ways as possible to make this experience go really well. And one of the ways I did that was by talking to the cruising king up here named Frank Slider, um, who was giving me advice on what to do. So he was telling me like in the disembarkation process, when you're getting off the ship at the end of your trip, that there's two ways that you can give them your luggage or get rid of your luggage, like take your luggage off. One, you can just carry it off yourself. And then the other is there's a time window the night before you leave the ship that you can pack up your stuff and set it outside the door and the crew will take it off for you. But if you do this, like you have to make sure that you keep all your stuff with you. Otherwise, like you're going to be walking out like naked or like smelling really bad. I don't know. Like there's not many options there unless like, I don't know. So anyway, I was playing on how I was going to do this. And in me being super OCD particular and wanting to take barely anything off the ship, I was like, okay, I'm going to like pack pretty much everything but exactly what I need in my bag and leave it outside the door. This included packing up my glasses that I wear when I don't have contacts in into my bag going, I don't need them. It's fine. So what my plan was is I set out a new fresh pair of contacts on the counter. I put my glasses in the bag and I was going to throw my old contacts away before I went to bed and be blind all night until I put my new ones in in the morning. Okay. Makes sense. Good plan. I went to bed that night, threw the contacts away, woke up the next morning, get up, go to the bathroom half blind because I don't have my glasses, put my contacts in and then TMI, I sit on the toilet. And the next thing I do was lost complete mental brain function because I must have thought it was the night before, and I took out the freshly new contacts I put in my eyes and threw them in the trash. I don't know what happened, okay? And keep in mind, I had no contact solution, no contact case, no glasses, and no extra contacts with me. They were off the ship. So I had to decide, am I going to be blind for hours, or am I going to get these contacts back out? So I got the contacts back out, but let me, keep, like, let me tell you this, too. The trash can had no liner in it. All week, they don't put liners in those trash cans. And the contacts were on the bottom. So do you imagine the amount of germs that were happening in those contacts? So my quick thinking, I think I'm standing at the counter. I think I've yelled at Allie at this point. She's like half asleep, still in bed. I'm like, ah, like just freaking out. I'm like, ah, my OCD is going crazy, okay? Like, I don't know what to do. So I grab them out, and then I'm like, okay, the bright idea. I'll take the packages that came in with like, barely any liquid left because it spilled out and just kind of dip them in there, put them in my eye. So I did that. And I think the first thing I said to you guys when I saw you in the morning was, guys, (laughs) this is what happened. But I walked through the rest of that day going, I'm going to wake up tomorrow with pink eye. I may, I may lose my eyesight over this decision. Like, that's what I'm thinking the rest of the day. Like, why did you do this? And the reason I'm telling you this this morning is because I think in a lot of ways it highlights the reality that all of us find ourselves in, and that's the reality that we're very dependent on certain things. For me, I'm dependent on optical assistance, like AKA glasses or contacts to be able to see. I wake up every day without thinking about it, knowing that I will be able to see to my fullest potential that day because I have something to, to, bend, to, to, to depend on that will help me see. And I think we all know what this feels like. If I go around the room today, I think all of us would be able to go, I'm dependent on this. And some of those things are good things to be dependent on. Some of the, those things are bad things to be dependent on. Some of those things are good or bad depending on, on um, 
if you depend on them too much and how much you use them and so forth like that. But this um, is so true when it comes to money. See, whether we like it or not, we all have to depend on money to some degree. The society that we live in requires us in order to function and survive that we make money, have money, use money, right? And that's not a problem. The problem is this, when we depend on money more than we depend on God. When the walls of our life are supported by our money more than God. When our hope is anchored in, in money more than it is in God. And whether we want to admit it or not, I think all of us struggle with this or have struggled with this to some degree. And that's, again, because we have to depend on money, but if we're not careful, we'll depend on it too much. And I think a lot of us in this room recognize this this morning, but at the same time, I think a Christian cliche is rising up inside us like, no, like, I'm dependent on God. He's got my whole heart. And that's because, like, that's where I would be arguing with myself right now. Like, no, God's got my heart. But at the same time, like, does he? Like, is there, is there part of your life that's not built on God? And at last week during PK's message, I got this illustration in my mind. God showed me somehow this is how I oftentimes function. So I want to show, you to show it to you today. So what I have up here is these fancy schmancy blocks, okay? And on these blocks, I had someone write for me um, different areas in our life that um, are big areas, like money, joy, identity. I got a whole bunch of them, okay? And what I want us to see today is like the foundation is God. And as Christians, like we recognize like a lot of times we're supposed to build our life on God. So we're supposed to give him our joy and we're supposed to build on him our identity. I don't have to build it this way. It's not going to go. Comfort, right? Safety and security. We've got to trust in him. We've got to build our possibil- the possibilities of the future on him. We've got to build our peace in him. We've got to build our hope in him. Just keep going down the line. All these are different areas. We all have purpose and fulfillment, right? What, what fulfills you? Our future. Uh, we've got to build our dreams similar to future but different. Are we letting him shape the dreams and desires of our hearts? And so on, so on. Self-confidence, fun, and really importantly, obviously salvation. Nothing else is going to save you. That's like what the church says. And then hopefully we put on him money, right? Hopefully. Don't fall. You're supposed to be firm. Okay. Firm, firm foundation. We sing about it in the song, Cody Carnes wrote. Okay. Anyway, so this is oftentimes what life is supposed to look like. We know this. Like this is like in a perfect Christian world, this is what our life looks like. But what I feel like God told me is that actually you do this to some degree, but then there's another foundation that you build on. And I think that this could be said of a lot of different foundations in our lives. There's a lot of things that are tempting to build on. I think that's for me. But I think money is one of the ones that is most tempting because it presents itself in a way that is so sure and firm in the culture that we live in. Like we live in a culture that money is so secure. Like the, every commercial is grasping at you to use money, to have more money. If you had more money, you'd be this. If you had more money, you'd be this. The enemy lies to you and says that you'd feel more peace-filled in your life if you had more money, which to a degree is true. But at the same time, like in the culture we're living in, I don't think there's an amount of money that's actually going to make you feel secure. And so I think what actually ends up happening is, please don't fall. You'll ruin my illustration. We're going to set this one off the side. We got a small table, people, Okay. All right, so I think what ends up happening is we have this other substitute foundation. And what happens for me, at least, is what I do is I give God some things, but not all things. So obviously, I give him salvation because I know money is not going to save me. Like, I'm smart enough to go, money didn't die for me on, on the cross, and that my human, the human depravity in my heart, there's no way that money will make up for that. So I give him my salvation. But I don't know, like, um, I give him, I'm trying to remember which one I chose in my notes, but um, I give him, I'll, I'll, I'll give money, safety, and security because, you know, salvation's secure in Jesus, but nowadays, like, it feels really good to have, like, a lot of money in the savings account. And so I, and this, what this looks like is if you're continually checking your bank account going, like, do we have enough money? What if this happens? And rather than going, what if God, you go, what if, do we have enough money? And so for me, this happens, I mean, it's one of my things to Allie. I'm like, babe, like, we got we to gotta save a little money right here because, like, what if this happens this year? And, like, that's not unwise, but if it becomes my foundation, it's unwise. So, and then I'll give God relationships because we all know relationships are very whack. Money ain't going to fix relationships. The only person that can fix relationships are the one who made relationships, and that's God. So I give him those. But then, I don't know, like, I'll give God, give God fun because, like, I don't know, at the end of a hard week and stuff, like, I don't know, it feels good to treat yourself and go buy yourself something nice, right? And so I give money that. And we keep going down the line. And I think one of the biggest ones, too, that a lot of people struggle with is identity. So we'll give God um, all these ones, purpose and possibilities, don't fall. Ooh, I built this poorly. All right. 
boom, boom. So we give God these, but then do we give God our identity? And by that, I mean, do we give God, or do we give money identity in the sense of, man, money makes me, makes me feel really, um, really whole and cool and put together. It can buy me nice things that make people don't actually see the real things I'm struggling with. And so what I'm pointing out today is like, whether like we like it or not, a lot of us do this and it may change. Like sometimes like, no, I get back on track, but then I'm like, Ugh. and like, we, we just go back and forth. And I felt like God was like, this is, this is what you do, Trenton. And I was like, that's so crazy to me. And the reason I'm showing to you, showing this to you today is because I think this is the other major reason why people don't give. See, it's one thing for the church to talk about relationships and time and disciplines because those are just a piece of someone's life. But when you talk about money and giving financially, you're typically treading on a foundation that someone's built their life on. I earned this, and this is my security, so why are you trying to take it away? A lot of times, money actually feels very sure when relationships and all these other things don't. And so we get frustrated when, when, when we're told about money. And so today, I think those who don't give or struggle to give need to step back and ask this question, is the reason why I don't give because I am fearful that in giving 10% or more, I will not have enough left over to have a fill-in-the-blank life, a secure life? If I give, is my security going to go out the window? If I give, is, is my joy and fun going to go out the window? You see what I'm saying? Like, this is like a fear that we have. And whether it looks like this or not, like, this is what goes on in my brain. When Allie and I were talking about what we, wanted to, what we wanted to give, I go, okay, do we have enough in the budget to do it? Why? Because I was going, do we have enough left over that I can still have some fun? Do we have enough left over that we're still secure? And this is what people do. They rationalize it out logically, and that's why they don't give. But what we need to recognize today is that you can't truly be dependent on two things. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve. This word means to be a slave to, to be devoted to. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this word money here is not talking about currency. It means wealth, riches, and it was a term used to describe the treasure a person puts their trust, trust in. Jesus is saying you cannot put your trust in God and money. You cannot be dependent on both of them. You will be dependent on one or the other. And I know that in saying all this today, some of us may think, well, I put my hope and faith and money a lot in my life and like it's never really let me down, so why would I change that? Because you're trying to tell me to put it in something else. I already said it, but I don't know about you, but like the world we're living in right now, I don't think there's an amount of money that can, that can hold your life together. The things that our nation is facing right now is not a financial problem. And it's only going to get darker. Like I don't see, I honestly like, I have faith in God, but I honestly just don't see it getting better. Like I trust that he will hold me through it and that my purpose will remain to help people find him but I don't see us all of a sudden flipping a switch and loving better, flipping a switch and lying less, flipping a switch and for some reason just magically changing the issues that plague humanity since the beginning. And so I think today we have to ask ourselves, what am I depending on the most? And I think we all need to approach how the widow did it in Mark 12. It says, they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on, she put all the blocks back on God. This word to live on is this Greek word bios. And it's where we get our word biology. It means the gift of physical life. When Jesus chose to use this word, he used it specifically because he was saying, this is literally the money that would pay for her to stay under a roof. This is the money that would pay for her to eat so her stomach was full and that so she could actually survive. This money was her life source. And she didn't keep it to keep her life dependent on God, she, or on money. She gave it to say, God, I'm dependent on you. You gave me the breath that I have and I give it to you because I trust you. And she gave this because she knew her supply came from. The Mosaic law said that you were supposed to give 10%. So she would have given, if even if she would have given only one of these, it would only have been 50% of what the mosaic, uh, of, of what she had. And it would have been way more than the mosaic law required, but she gave it all 
because she recognized where her dependence was at. She was giving based off the fact that she was in need and she knew the only thing that could truly, she could truly depend on was God. And this morning, doesn't, I'm not trying to tell us that we need to sell everything and give it all away. But what I am trying to point out is that a lot of us need to like check our heart and say, God, am I being dependent on you? Closing today, I came across a brief synopsis of a missionary in the last few weeks I wanted to share with you. His name was Jim Elliott. And he and his missionary companions departed from the U.S. in the 1950s to Ecuador, where they dedicated their time trying to reach an unreached people group. The good news is later on, the tribal chief of this group got saved. But sadly, this was after Jim Elliott and his friends were killed by this group of people because they were seen as a threat. But before Jim Elliott died, he wrote in a journal a statement that I think we need to take to heart today. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And when he was talking about this, he was talking about his physical life because he knew he wasn't going to keep it anyway. He was going to die at some point. But it applies to money because you ain't taking your money to heaven. And right now, I don't know about you, but a lot of people aren't keeping their money. They're blowing it anyway. So why don't you blow it on something that actually is worth it? And see, a lot of times we try to make this so logical and think, oh, it's foolish to give to God because of this. Actually, you're foolish hanging on to it. And I want us to grasp that this morning. And my heart as we close today is like, I recognize like in writing this, like the tendency could be the filter through which most people hear this is that I'm trying to coerce, coax you into giving. Fine, if you want to call it that. At the end of the day, I'm just recognizing the reality of the excuses in my heart that keep me back from doing what I know should be done. And so that's where I want to challenge you today. So as we close, I want to just pray. And um, I want to challenge you guys with this. If you don't give, I want you to just right now quietly ask yourself, why don't you give? And if you do give, I want you to quietly ask yourself, why don't you give more? I just want us all to process that. And I think that's a question you should write down and really think about this week as you go through your week. But God, we just come before you today. God, and I thank you, first of all, on this week of Thanksgiving for the life and the breath that is in each one of our lungs. God, we wouldn't even be here today if you didn't create us. We were a figment in your imagination that came true, that came to life. And we're living that life. And now our choice is what we're going to do with that life. And so I just pray, God, that you would speak to people's hearts. God, that they would recognize that giving is not logical. God, it's, it, it's a faith practice, just like any other faith practice. And God, so we just give that opportunity today God, to, to you, God, to, to, to address our hearts. God, and I pray that based on this message, God, you would just change people's hearts. God, you just give them a new perspective. God, you'd shift how they think. God, that people's lives would be changed, because, God, because they're believing and, 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 and living on your principles. And we just thank you for it. God, we thank you that you're good. God, that you're gracious and loving. And so we give all glory and honor to you today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, thanks for coming today, church. I went a little bit long. I'm sorry my illustration took up time. But um, I believe God's good, and I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving week. And please seriously consider this challenge. This challenge is a way that all of us would do it together so no one's alone. And so there's 60 days left on this challenge for you to do it. And so I'd really encourage you to do that um, with us. So we'll see you in the weeks to come. Have a good day. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.